podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It is the Anfield Wrap on Radio City Talk. Neil Atkinson and Gareth Roberts for now, but it's a bit of a special, different show. I know at the minute we're all consumed by transfers and that sounds. I know me and Gareth are as well. She'll be an exciting summer for the Reds. But on Saturday the 3rd of June, it's the 125th anniversary of Liverpool Football Club's existence. And so what we've got lined up for you here is a show with people detailing their favourite memory of supporting Liverpool. And also we're joined by Mary Lund, who undertook a project called Anfield Away, where she went all across the globe going to different supporters' clubs to watch the Reds. So she's going to come and talk to us as well. Because one of the strange things, in many ways, Gareth, is is that Liverpool's appeal is now global. It's not something anyone would have thought of in 1892 for an obvious variety of reasons. But this is now, a, you know, it's a global football team. It's it's one of the biggest football clubs in the world. Could well be the most romantic. And it's something to be proud of. Yeah, absolutely. Once upon a time, it was just another football team on Merseyside, wasn't it? And, you know, we all know how, how it came about. And the Evertonians like to remind us seemingly every week. Um <laughs> But, you know, now it is this huge thing and it's, it's all over the globe. And I always think it, it, it's fascinating speaking to, to fans from all over the world to, to find out sort of how and why they, they got into the Reds. And, you know, so much of it is down to Europe, really, and, and, and doing what they did in Europe. And just, you know, loads of people have got lovely little tales of just, you know, watching black and white tallies and watching Liverpool running around and winning cups and thinking, well, that looks good, can it be a part of that? Well, that, that's impo- it's one of the reasons why one of the reasons why it's important that we did actually qualify for the Champions League this season. And, you know, I think you and I at times have been in different ways, cynical about the idea of a, a trophy for fourth. You want to mm. be the best. But the manager was at pains to, to, to make it clear that Liverpool need to have European football. You know, the, the best quote is the Evans quote, which is that, you know, Liverpool without European football is a banquet without fine wine. And we're defined by that really in so many ways in a worldwide sense. Yeah. But also, we've got people sharing their memories and so many people have chosen European ones as well. It's noticeable, I think. Yeah, it's the, it's the songs, it's the culture, it's, it's the way, you know, all those early trips in Europe. I mean, we've been doing some specials recently and the Rome one was really good uh, for anyone that subscribes and you should do, by the way. Uh, but give that a listen. It was fantastic memories of that trip of Liverpool's first European Cup, which was 40 years ago, of course. And I think, you know, those early trips into Europe did help form Liverpool's identity even to this day. And, you know, the way the cop is with the, with the flags and the banners, even the songs we sing and, you, you know, all that sort of thing. There's loads that's helped to shape Liverpool's identity and the way we all are about football as well. And, and it isn't the same. I think it's really important to say that it isn't the same at other football clubs. I know other rival fans get annoyed sometimes and say, oh, we hate the way you know the Scousers and the Reds sort of romanticise their club and talk about how, how it's different. It isn't it's the same at every club. But it isn't, you know, because, you know, you... Even little, you know, key indicators. If you like, you know, you look at some other supposed big clubs, and there's no great fan culture around. There's no fanzines. There's not a lot of websites run by fans. There's nothing like like the Anfield Rap, for example. And I just think, you know, the way we are about our football is different. There are some clubs that can, you know, get alongside. There's a thing for the for the fan culture they've got. But there's loads that aren't. There's loads where they just the fans seem to go and enjoy it at the weekend and then forget about it. Whereas we we all seem to live it a lot more. And the other thing about that is the togetherness. I know that we're giving a shout out here to the Fifth and Williams Golf Day, uh, and loads of people work so hard on that. This year, the chosen charity is Autism Adventures Limited uh, by the family, and it's to keep the memory alive of what Anne did, but also to to, to raise money for a good cause. And we'll tweet that out. Uh, we'll get that out on our Twitter for people to be able to look at on our Facebook as well for for donations towards that. But it is this sort of you know, it's important to remember again that, that the community spirit fostered by Liverpool is firstly it's very important within the city, but that also goes on to be wider than just the city, the region of the northwest of England. Wider than that, 
the whole of the United Kingdom uh, and then wider than that the world as well you know it encompasses it's managed to encompass that sort of warmth across the board and again that's that's I think that's really rather unique and again I'd like to think it's something that when they were setting a club up 125 years ago the idea that anyone in the world can sort of become a member by coming on board it's a really warm thing yeah there's values attached attached to Liverpool isn't it it isn't just it isn't just a football club it isn't just a sporting institution it isn't just something that competes on a on a pitch every other week or whatever that you go and watch them it's more than that there is value attached and you see that all the time you know the likes of the golf table also you know the way the, the way fans have fought for justice around Hillsborough and also the way fans all around the world understand that and take the time to get that I mean you know we've referenced it loads me and you but you know when we went over to Australia I think it was an eye opener for us just how how into Liverpool FC they were in Australia and, and, and this isn't they're not consuming it in a different way it's everything it's, it's, it's all the cultural cultural marks that you see around around Anfield they've got the same things it, you know down to the clothes that they wear down to being mem- members of Spirit of Shankly down to you know putting stickers around saying don't buy the sun when the sun's not even on sale in Australia you know, it, it's understanding that culture and there is that culture and, and it's being embraced all over the world and as you said at the top that's a fantastic thing. It's a fantastic thing for the city. Listen, come on, we've got memories. We've got Mary Lawns coming to talk about the worldwide diaspora and memories coming up from Mike Nevin, uh, Adam Smith, Philippa Smallwood, Paul Senior, John Gibbons and Rob Gutman. That's all to come before half past seven here on Radio City Talk. But the first one I wanted to get because he's quite the purveyor of Scouse exceptionalism himself, Gareth Roberts, on his favourite memory. It doesn't have to be the best, doesn't have to be the greatest moment and indeed it's interesting to see what people have picked and that's we got the people in to do this. Uh, Gareth, what's your memory at Liverpool Football Club? It's really difficult this because there's so many great times and you know been going the game a long time since the first game was was in 1990 and you know to pick one is really really difficult and you know there's been you know fantastic moments obviously Istanbul Dortmund was huge for me as well being my age and being like a first European Cup final or European competition final that I could go to um, and Chelsea at home as well you know in that in that semi final in 2005 that was fantastic but I still. Like and enjoy my very first game at Anfield. I think that was special because I'd built it up in my mind so much. I've been so desperate to go for so long, and I've said before on here that you know I never had any sort of immediate family who was banging to Liverpool. There was no one yeah. to sort of take me, and so it was a it was more a question of when I could either get the bottle to just go myself or whether I could get someone to take me and it ended up just being, I just went, I just decided to go against my parents' wishes and just go. And when I, and when I finally did do that, it was just to a run below cup game against Crew Alexandra and, and that doesn't sound very romantic and it wasn't um, you know it, 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 the people listening don't even know what Rumbelows is well, well yeah I mean it's the old so it's the old it, that's a, that's a, another title for the League Cup yeah. uh, Crew were in the fourth division at the time so Liverpool you know expected to easily knock them out of the competition uh, Rob Jones uh, playing for Crew at the time I think Craig Hignett was there as well um, and yeah you know we just went along there was only about 17,000 there but, but still just to to go in and see, you know, the 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 green Anfield turf, if you like, under the floodlights, the the sights and the sounds of the ground and everything, and the that. smell of the grass, it just, all of that, yeah, and it's just all all those things have been built up in my head for so so long, and then to actually experience it was fantastic, and it just didn't let me down. I didn't care for a minute that there was only seventeen thousand in the ground. I was taking it all in, looking round, you know, just 
it was amazing to see all these players that I'd watched on the television and I had posters of on my wall actually on the pitch. You know, Beardsley was there, Barnes was there, McMahon was there. And and then crew take the lead. And it was like, <laughs> what's going on here? This isn't this, this isn't part of the plan. But uh, but you know, Liverpool ended up comfortable winners and, and and it was a fantastic night. And I just had the bug then from that very first match. It, it didn't let me down in what in what I wanted from from a game. And then from then on, it was just a case of you know how many games can I get to now? How, how much? How many can I afford to get to? And that and that that's always just been that's still something to wrestle with now. But <laughs> but it, it, you know there was no doubt in my mind from then on in I'm a red here and I'm going the match and I'm going the match as many times as I possibly can because I loved it and it's just been a huge part of my life ever since. This is the Anfield Wrap on Radio City. So Gareth Roberts there. As I say to come, we've got Mary Lund, we've got Mike Nevin, uh, Philippa Smallwood, Paul Senior, Adam Smith, uh, Rob Gutman, and I'm concerned I've forgotten somebody, but you know, John Gibbons, I keep forgetting it because he's, t- he's took a week on holiday. Uh, don't go anywhere, we'll be back in a minute. Welcome back, Radio City Talk, the special uh, show commemorating Liverpool's 125th anniversary, which is formally the 3rd of June, and made up to have Mary Lund join me. And the reason why is because I know how Mary went about the business of watching Liverpool last season. And you might wonder how this fits into the idea of a 125th anniversary around the club. But she's going to say what she did, and then we'll have a conversation about it. So, Mary, how did you watch Liverpool last season? Well, uh, so the 16-17 season, my partner Neil and I, uh, we travelled around the world and watched... Well, the aim was to watch every single Liverpool game in a different city with a different set of supporters just around the world. Um, We got to... 35 different cities, 21 different countries, so we didn't complete, but uh, almost. That's a re- I mean, that's a really strong record, and you yourself, you're not obviously originally from Liverpool, where are you from? I'm from Norway. You're from Norway, and this is, you know, when you think about Liverpool, this club that was started in 1892, the idea that it's become this worldwide phenomenon, you've gone out there and seen that in all these different supporters clubs, it's really, you know, in 21 different countries, it, it shows the, the, the scale and scope of the club these days. Yeah, and people are so dedicated as well, because you have to bear in mind that the games kick off at, like, daft time, so uh, we were in Sydney for the City game on New Year's Eve here. Yeah. But that was New Year's Day in Sydney. But not only New Year's Day, but it was 4.30 in the morning. So everyone were out in their suits and dresses and they've all been celebrating. They were absolutely, you know... Drunk. They were very drunk. Um, but they still did it and it was amazing. So, yeah. Is that, I mean, you know, there's, there's certain ones there which must must sort of stand out, the Christmas period being an interesting part. And something that I find whenever, you know, I've watched uh, matches in, in, in Australia and chatted to them and being in the United States, I remember once watching Liverpool kick off against Man United at half past seven in the morning and being very, very drunk at half past nine and wondering what on earth I'm meant to do with the rest of the day <laughs> under these circumstances. And it's it's something which is which I think, you know, if you are in the city, you can sort of miss the the wide range of the support and what it, what, what it actually means. Yeah, and they put themselves through so much, so uh, it's not going to stop them, especially in the States and a few places in Australia at least, uh, where it doesn't matter what time the games kick off, they will be in that pub at the, like an hour before and they will be drunk no like no matter what time of day so it's um they're very passionate it's i mean the passion is the thing that i think we again that you know you can sort of presume that people don't quite feel it the way in which we do or anything like that whereas there is this real it's 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 an appetite for the game really which which ones stood out not just as games as spectacles but as locations to watch the match in um well we um when we planned the trip at one of the recent like we decided on the different places based on 
either way we knew there'd be a big supporters club or um, that there were cheap flights to get to, <laughs> not going to lie. Uh, but also if there were some cities we really wanted to go to. So Nashville was one of them, the, the latter where we really... Tell me about the Nashville Reds. We really wanted to go to Nashville. Uh, and then we did some research into the Reds because we didn't really... We'd already decided we were going, but yeah. we didn't know much about them. Um, but then we found a little group on Twitter and they're not an official group or anything. Um, and they, uh, their pub is in a suburb of Nashville in Franklin. Uh, and the pub is owned by a Mank from Lancaster. So the pub is actually, uh, I think it's mainly a United pub, but <laughs> they share it and they they get on that well. So it was really fascinating. So we got there and there were about 30 supporters um, and they all knew each other that well. And I think that's, that creates a great atmosphere because no one's embarrassed to sing. No one's just like no shame. Um, and the Americans do like a halftime picture. So they get out. Really? Yeah. At halftime, they all get out in front of the pub and get a picture of themselves and put it on social media and stuff. Uh, so we were stood outside. This is like uh, a typical American pub. It's like a pub at the corner. Then there's a Walgreens and a Starbucks, lots of different businesses along the, in the same building. Uh, mm -hmm. And this was Saturday morning, quite early in the morning. And we started taking a picture and one of the guys put on, like sets off a red flare. So there's like red smoke everywhere. <laughs> so we just had a, a lot of fun with them. They really surprised us. And, you know, you went to some countries where English isn't the first language as well. So, you know, which, which, which of them stood out to? Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. Uh, another one where we hadn't really done our research, which is really fancy going to Rio. And then a couple of days before. I mean, the let's game. be honest about this. This is, you know, you've managed to turn a, 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 a hugely fun round the world trip into something centered on Liverpool, which I'm banging into. This is great cynicism. Yeah, yeah, I, I know. <laughs> it's quite good, isn't it? We just think of it as like a, a global pub crawl. So, yeah, it was, it was quite good. Um, Rio. Rio. So we got there an hour before the game. There were five people there. That, that, was, that was it. There were yeah. five Liverpool supporters there. Uh, two of them spoke English, but they knew all the songs. Like everyone, they, they were just singing for 90 minutes, and then you ever like it felt like they understood the club even though they didn't speak the language necessarily. What is it you think that sort of I mean, you know, all football clubs to some extent, most football clubs have a worldwide supporter said all there. I'm, I'm not, you know, you can't you can't be quite sure about Plymouth Argyle, but you know, a, a lot of major supporters clubs have a worldwide support. What do you think it is having seen all of these different people? What was the, the, the one or two of the things that you thought that they held in common? with their love for Liverpool uh, across all these different countries? Well, um, one thing that well everyone loves, I think I, I keep going back to the passion, but it, there, there's something more than just a good football club. Um, but I, I did find that most people, <laughs> some people might not like this, but I definitely found that most people that we met started supporting Liverpool because of the final in Istanbul. Mm -hmm. um, so you might call that, you know, like glory hunters or whatever, but it's been 12 years and we've not won much in those 12 no, years. No, we haven't. So, <laughs> and they still stuck around. So um, I think, it, I can't explain it. I, I've always struggled to explain personally as well. I'm not from Liverpool, so I can't, it's just, it's something more. It's. Uh, I wonder about the sort of the romanticism you mentioned Istanbul there and the idea of sort of, of, of achievements like that and going back to the late, the, for some people to the late 70s and Liverpool cutting a swathe across Europe. I, I wonder whether or not there is something sort of just inherently romantic around Liverpool, the notion of it as a city, the port city, the music, all this sort of stuff. I think I wonder if all of this sort of feeds into people 
fallen in love with both this city and this team simultaneously because because of all of that. I think so, and I think a lot of the times we've found ourselves, Liverpool have found themselves as an underdog, maybe, mm. and everybody loves an underdog. I mean, look at the Mighty Ducks films in the night. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's definitely something there, I think, anyway. Um, you got any other trips planned, or is that that is that you now? That is well, we spent all the money now. I bet you have. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're actually we're actually today looking to buy an apartment in Liverpool, so we're in a bidding war at the moment. So, all very exciting. I know. I will leave you to get back to your bid bid more. Uh, always great to speak to Mary, and it's an interesting, it's a fascinating uh, journey that you've been on. Did you take a lot of pictures? We took pictures, but we did a lot of filming as well. So, where can people see it? YouTube. Uh, our channel is called Anfield Away. So have a look. Have a look and it's all there. Uh, this is the Anfield Wrap on Radio City Talk on the occasion of Liverpool's 125th anniversary. Some may describe it as a birthday. We'll be back with more soon. And now with the first of our memories, we've got Mike Nevin, uh, who's been to so many football matches. Here he is to talk about Liverpool in the context of the 125th anniversary. Joining me with his favourite memory of supporting Liverpool is uh, Mike Nevin. Mike, what have you gone for? Well, I'm, I'm going for a, a bit of an obscure one, and and given given my sort of advancing years, I, th- I thought I'd, I'd try and go back as far as I can. Really, I mean, my my first match as a Liverpool fan, very lucky to go to the 1974 FA Cup final, but I I can't quite remember as, as much of that um, as as you might do as a sort of an earliest childhood memory. But just growing up through that period, of the 70s, it was a time when Liverpool would. Could never lay their hands on the FA Cup um, again, certainly for me. But and my particular, really abiding memory, if we want to go right back, I was 12 years of age, and we got to the semi-finals of the FA Cup in 1979 and lost to Manchester United, and I was absolutely heartbroken. You know, tears, um, I'm sure, were were flowing. Um, then the following season, which was the first season that I started going to the match regularly. Um, got to about six or seven home games and we got to the FA Cup semi-final and I'd never been to sort of a, an, an away game as such other than the, the, the 74 Cup final um, and the, the semis against Arsenal the, fir- the first one was actually at Hillsborough I didn't go to that, that was on a, a Saturday and then the replay, um, the FA Cup semi-final replay was then at, at, uh, at Villa Park and me and my dad went and it was just just like a magical memory going down on the motorway just... Those days of of people probably drinking um, Watney's Party Sevens and uh, crates <laughs> crates crates of ale going down the M6, and it seemed like seemed like a really long journey. When you're 12, getting to Birmingham just seems like you know the other side of the world, but um, just magical, really. And being in the company of me, me dad's friends, and I think we picked up a couple of stragglers somewhere on the motorway as well. So you know, just an absolutely brilliant atmosphere going down, and then getting into to Villa Park and the whole end which was their big terrace behind the goal. Still still there as a stand these days. But that was always partitioned directly down the middle. So you had this incredible atmosphere of two sets of supporters, either side of the divide. Unbelievable atmosphere from a terrace. Um, so the first game, anyway, cut a long story short, but that ended 1-1. David Fairclough scored first for Liverpool. I think it was Alan Sunderland equalised for, for Arsenal. So... Disappointed, but we're still in. We're still in the cup, and it goes for second replay. So, badgered my dad uh, relentlessly to to go again. So, but I think that the the first replay was on the on the, the Wednesday. The second replay was the following Monday, and um, 
he relented again and sort of said, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go down again. So the same journey, the same same hilarity going down, the same faces. And I'm thinking to myself, I could get used to this. And evidently I did over the next uh, <laughs> 37 years. Um, and this, but this, this is where the, the sort of the, the, the real great memory strikes in is that uh, this game was, was truly dramatic. Nothing really happened in the middle of it, but Arsenal scored after 45 seconds. So we're a goal down. Uh, we were playing in my favourite Liverpool kit, which is the, the white, black and white uh, with the red trim. Magical away kit, which you never play in anything else. Um, well, certainly away from home anyway. Uh, and it looked like we were going out the cup. And again, heartbreak. Uh, the fact that I'm actually seeing it live unfold in front of my eyes, even more upsetting. What made it worse, there's like three or four minutes to go and my dad's obviously envisaging a mass exodus of fans at the final whistle. I'm still 12 and quite small. He says, right, we're off. So we disappear down the nearest gangway. We get outside onto Whitten Lane, I think it is, um, which is the road outside Villa Park. And there's just this, just this enormous roar. And it could be the final whistle, could be Arsenal celebrating uh, the end of the game and them going through. But we just begin to get the sense that it isn't the final whistle. Liverpool have equalised. But we're now stuck outside on Whitten Lane and a, a barrier of, of about 30 policemen gathered in front of the open exit. And I think, we've just got to get back inside. We've got pleadingly looking at me, Dad. I don't know whether I'm actually saying anything. And he must have taken it on board. And basically, me Dad and about 20 other lads basically just charged through, the, through this line of police. I think I might have been... He might have held me by the hand and I was suddenly whisked through up this, up those same stairs and just into this Liverpool, half, half of this Liverpool end that is in an absolute ferment. And the, the song that's being sung is We're on the March of Paisley's Army and everyone's absolutely bouncing. Um, where the story sort of falls short is that we, we hit the bar twice in extra time. We don't win and the game goes to a third replay. <laughs> same conversations go on, you take me to this, same pleading eyes. On the Thursday, after the Monday, we're off to Highfield Road, Coventry, <laughs> for, the for the fourth game in the, in the, in the series, uh, where Liverpool lose 1-0, extending <laughs> the, the FA Cup heartbreak, but actually cementing a love affair with, with, with the club and, and the competition as well, because you know it was the yearning to win it throughout that period. It was massive. Everyone knows about it. The FA Cup was viewed totally differently then. Um, but also that was the first time I'd seen Liverpool lose live and I think that's the time when you I mean you know I've, God knows how many times I've seen them lose since but that first time really really hurts and that's the point where you, you think is this for me uh, and I think I probably took more more passion more more sort of en not enjoyment a, 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 a weird sense of uh, pleasure pain principle out of the idea of seeing us lose for the first time, and the the the, the happy ending to the stories is that uh, to the, the story is that three days on the Saturday after the Thursday, I think um, we won the league championship at Anfield against Aston Villa, and I was there to see that first time on the cop. So that was it was a good end to the season. But that yeah, the Dalglish equaliser Villa Park 1980. You can see it on YouTube. Actually, it's recently surfaced. So if you want to see it, I was in there somewhere. Well, actually not. I was outside. Excellent stuff from Mike Nevin. Uh, more of this sort of thing. Always good to speak to Mike. This is the Anfield Wrap on Radio City Talk. After the break, we'll be getting the memories of Adam Smith, Paul Senior, Philippa Smallwood, uh, somebody else who I've forgotten, John Gibbons, that's the one, and Rob Gutman. They'll be coming to you very, very soon indeed. Don't go anywhere. Next in our series are memories uh, around the 125th anniversary of Liverpool. Adam Smith? So mine is 
a recent one actually, and it's the the four three win over Dortmund in the Europa League uh, quarter final back in uh, April of two thousand sixteen. I'm. I'm 34, so I'd grown up hearing people talk about how brilliant Liverpool, uh, how brilliant Anfield is on a European night. And I didn't really get to experience any of the the Champions League 2004-2005. You know, I wasn't there for Olympiacos, I wasn't there for any of them. I was watching, you know, I was at uni at the time, so I was watching them all um, on telly and uh, in bars and things. So... Dortmund was meant to be my first big experience of how fantastic Liverpool uh, can be and Anfield can be on a European night. So I was desperately trying to get tickets. I was talking to anybody and everybody, you know, tweeting everybody on uh, on on social media asking about it. Um, and eventually, it was uh, actually the Anfield Rap's own John Gibbons that came back to me and said, "You know, I, I've got two together because I was searching for two. I had a few people offer me one, but I was looking to. I wanted to go with me dad. I wanted this to be uh, one of those occasions when I went with me dad. You know, um, so uh, I was saying, you know, oh, well, you know, brilliant." This is this is great. So I phoned my dad and I said, "Listen, Dad, brilliant news! I've got two tickets for the uh, for the Dortmund match." Uh, and my dad said, "Oh, you're all right. My mate sorted me out with a hospitality ticket last week." <laughs> so there I was thinking, "Great, you know, John's gone out of his way there to give me his two tickets." So I had to turn around to him and say, "Look, I I don't know anyone that could you know go." I spoke to a couple of mates and they were all away working all that sort of stuff. So John said, "Oh, don't worry, I'll get something. I'll get something sorted for you." So so there I am, sat sat inside Anfield. Next to a bit of a weirdo who John sorted out. Uh, no, not really. I don't know who they were. Um, and I don't think he knew either. And um, obviously, five minutes in, we're 1-0 down. Ten minutes in, we're 2-0 down. And all of a sudden, this night when I'm supposed to be seeing this brilliant, you know, European night at Anfield is is falling apart completely. Um, and I, I don't know, you know, what's going to happen? I'm thinking, I've jinxed this. You know, this is my fault. I, you know, this ne- never would have uh, got to Istanbul if I'd have been at the Olympiacos game. Um, and then, you know, Arigi brings one back and you think, brilliant, they, you know, maybe there's a chance here. Something's going to happen. Uh, and then Roy scores on 57 minutes and it all falls apart. And, and I'm just thinking we've got, you know, that's it. There's, you know, there's absolutely, we, perhaps from 2-0 down at home, we, we, we make a recovery, but there's absolutely no way we're coming back from 3-1. And then Coutinho scores. And all of a sudden, I started to get why people talk about Anfield on a European night. Because under the lights, there was a there was just a buzz. There was just an electricity. There was just a feeling that maybe this Liverpool team could do something. Then the Sacco goal. And then there's a real feeling that this Liverpool team can do something. This is a European night at Anfield. The crowd is going bonkers. I've practically lost my voice. I'm singing that much over it all. And yeah, everything's going on. And then that ball drops to Lovren from about 25 yards out and he tries to hit it on the volley. And I think that might be it. That might be the chance there. And then as we go into stoppage time, there comes the corner. There's just, there was, ne- there was never a quiet. There was never a moment when Anfield went silent, but there felt like, there was a happening and that everybody kind of sensed what was could come next. And when the goal went in, it just went off. It just went off. You know, it was incredible. The noise, I've never heard anything like it. I've never felt anything like it. It was just one of the those real senses of I was there when. That's what it felt like. It wasn't just my European night. It was, an, it was my I was there when night. Um, and 
at the end of the match, the, the lad next to me, Callum, uh, his dad was behind us. He had his top off. The whole thing was just, the place was bouncing. And I just remember thinking, I just need to soak all this in because this was my I was there when moment. Thanks to Adam. More of these. And to join me now with his dominating Liverpool memory is John Gibbons. Really hard, so many, but one of the European nights it had to be during the 2000s, um, plum for one of Afers, and it was the Chelsea home in 2005. Felt absolutely amazing night. What made this so special? Well, aside from everyone else's, in the morning I didn't actually have a ticket. Um, it was around the time I was sharing a season ticket with my sister, and so she it was sort of her turn to go. I'd gone for Juventus because I thought, well, we're probably going to get knocked out here. So so I'd gone for Juventus, and then... Um, so it was her turn to go for Chelsea. So in the morning, I didn't have a ticket, and you know, you're trying every, everyone you know and trying every avenue. And uh, my dad used to work with someone who, who, who was married to someone at the club, and in the end, he said, they've got one in the cup. Um, so I was on my own, right at the back of the cop. So it was like a rush home from where I can get out and and get down. And and that feeling where you didn't think you were going and walking towards the ground is one I haven't had many times in my life. I've been quite fortunate, really, where they've always sort of been sorted. So so to have that feeling that I was actually going to be in there for this kind of mon- monumental game really was. Did you going early? I wasn't in that early. No, I think I think because. You know, I, to, I, I, I was in work and then I had to get back and, you know, changed and all that. Um, I think I just wanted to get out my suits and all that. I think nowadays I'd have just gone out, but I think I think I wanted to get back for whatever reason. And so so I wasn't in that early. No, I was, I mean, I was I was in for You'll Never Walk Alone and all that. And it was a loud one. It was just funny being right at the back of the cop because I'd never been that far back before. I haven't stood on the cop loads generally, but... Um, Right on, right to the back, right on, more or less the back row on my own, um, and then obviously I can't remember anything really happening be- between you and Ever Walk Alone and the and the and the Garcia goal. I mean, I don't think there was much chance for much, but that roar and that release and that feeling like you know this might actually happen, and I, I just remember how light it was as well. You know, you think yeah. like you know you think of oh you know it's a night game under the lights and all that. It was like. It was yep. it was roasted, um, and it was and it, you know I mean you know we might it might have finished up in darkness, but that game was played for quite a long time in a, in broad sunlight, and so I remember that and that the contrast between all, all the kind of the noise coming from everyone and people like that and just unreal. And then it was just a case of holding on. Can we do it? But it was one of the best grounds I've ever known for for all four stands. You know, keep. You know, being part of the atmosphere and feeling like you were part of it, and you know, you had every time the, the Chelsea players had a had a um, throw in either side, the fans were giving it to them. You know what I mean? Right I, there, defiance. I remember a corner Lampard took yeah. out about 65, 70 in front of the cop. Yeah, and he was getting so much grief from this point where he just sort of turned around with this yeah. un, this look on his face of, "Is this for real? Yeah, is this happening to me?" But I don't think they'd, they'd known anything like it. Like the Chelsea fans were looking at everyone in a bit in disbelief as well. Like the Chelsea fans were like, "What on earth is this?" And that got it. I think that night also changed English football in terms of the supporting mentality, kind of. You know, because it 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 gone away and gone to more family and more family and things like that, which is fine. But then I think I think since that night, all the clubs have been trying to recreate the things on their own. So it's because of that night you got your plastic flags at, at Chelsea and all the all the stuff you try and do on City and stuff, and United have it going. I think that night changed it for everyone. I think that night showed people the true power of support and what support can do because they were thirty odd points ahead. That was what was on the flip chart. That was what Marino put on the flip charts. You know how many points we went. 
they were ahead of us and it was 30 on and you had Kesman before the game saying, oh, you know, oh, we've been to Anfield. It was all right. So you're thinking, yeah, you come on New Year's Day when no one could play. <laughs> <A> midday. <laughs> when, uh, we, did, we weren't even talking to each other, never mind singing, you know what I mean? Yeah. The only the only sound was people throwing up. So it was like, you know, I was like, I was like, oh, just, just bless this lad, you know what I mean? He doesn't know what he's going into. I mean, I don't even know if he got on. I think he might have done towards the end. But, but it was like, they, they were, everyone was just sort of in disbelief. And I think some of our lot as well, I think we we hadn't realised we created so much, no, we could create so much noise, but that kind of just burst us on to kind of create even more. And I remember half time, we get to half time, I thought I'll go down and have a drink. I don't think I'd, I'd, had, I'd had a drink at all. And, and I saw my mates and I was like, I'll come and stand by you. And they were like, no, everyone's got to stay in the same place. <laughs> and I thought, although that seems harsh, um, I completely can't, understand. Can't argue with the facts. Yeah, yeah. So, so I went back to, to on my own, and and you just you just kind of willing it, and you know there's prayers and there's shouts and there's you know shoving the ball away, and then there's the one that drops to Good Johnson, and you know time did stop, and it's a bit of a cliche, but it is, and you're like, here you go, and you're just waiting for the net to go, waiting for the net to go when it doesn't, and you know, I mean, where the ref got seven minutes from, who only knows, you know, oh no. One of the strangest things I've ever seen in Anfield when that went up. But God, Johnson, I'm convinced he's going to score. He doesn't, and then after that, you know, we're in. And then when you watch it back on telly now, it's funny because everyone's celebrating before the whistle, aren't they? Because it's sort yeah. of like, yeah, yeah, we're in party time now, and you and you never normally see that. But I think after Good Johnson, kind of everyone knew, and they packed in, and and what a celebration! As soon as the final whistle went, I thought, oh, I can I can go and find my mates now. So I ran down and hugged them, and I remember hugging my mate Ben, and um, he was getting married in the summer. And he was like, "Oh, you know, we're gonna go to that wedding. We're gonna have to. We're gonna be you know, European champions. Yeah, yeah." He's getting married and get get married away. And I thought, "Yeah, you know, we are. We are actually gonna do it." And I think that was, you know, you know, you could you could rush home and book your flights. And it was all sorts of stuff. We 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 weren't ever convinced that we were gonna get. You know, it was like what you know, your dad your dad went to Wembley and all that and. You know, it was all stuff that we thought, well, we'll have some good nights, you know what I mean? But we'll never get the best ones. And then that was the kind of... So that was almost better than Istanbul for me because it was the, oh, my God, this is this has actually happened. We're going to go there. We can rush home. We can figure out how we're going to get there. We don't even know we're playing yet because that game was the next night. But, you know, who cares? Bring them on. We'll batter anyone. Another Liverpool memory on the occasion of the 125th anniversary, Philippa Smallwood. Yeah, mine... Um was against Juventus in 2005, the Champions League. Um, before the game, I was running behind time, which is very unlike me. And uh, actually, my husband came with me on this occasion. And I remember we parked up at Goodison like we always used to do. And we started walking across Stanley Park. And Neil decided that it was a bit too scary walking across Stanley Park with loads of other Liverpool fans so he wanted to walk around the outside of Stanley Park. And it was only when I was halfway across and had no signal on my phone, I thought, how the hell are we actually going to get back in touch with one another when we actually get to Anfield? Because he's an Evertonian. Because he's an Evertonian. Um, so, obviously, time's ticking by. I'm aware that, obviously, kickoff time is approaching. It was probably about half past seven. And I'm getting towards Anfield and I can't see him anywhere. And I think I'll just have to stand outside of the entrance that we, we were going, the turnstile we were going in. And I still couldn't see him anywhere. And it was like five minutes, ten minutes past. And then finally, as you could hear, you'll never walk alone. It come round the corner. So I'm like, absolute mop it. And, you know, I'm absolutely laying into him. 
um, as we're going into the ground. Runs up the stairs. I'm absolutely knackered because we were in the upper centenary. And we sit down and obviously as 10 minutes is coming up on the clock and Sammy Hippier rises to a corner and heads it into the goal and even like Neil's jumping up, can't believe it. You know, before the match, I was being told by everybody at work how we were going to get absolutely hammered and this was where we was going to get knocked out. And it was just unbelievable. And then we were literally sat right in line from when Garcia hit his volley. And from the second that it left his boot, we could see that it was going in. And it was just unbelievable. And this massive roar went up in in the stadium and everybody was just hugging one another and, and everything. And then the really, the strangest thing I've ever experienced in any football ground happened about a minute later. It just fell deadly silent. And I swear it was just that everybody was just sat there thinking, what the hell is going on? How is Liverpool, who's supposedly getting knocked out of this competition, beating Juventus, this massive European club who, you know, was tipped as one of the sides to, to, you know, at least get to a semi-final, if not go on and win it. How was this Liverpool side, who everybody'd mocked, actually managed to get 2-0 up against Juventus? And I also remember we, we obviously conceded a goal later on in the game in 60-odd minute. Um, and I remember walking away from the ground and everybody was just... That's it, we're out, because we conceded that goal. And I'll never forget Neil turning around to me and saying, you'll do it. And it was just amazing. 125th anniversary, going right the way through, number of different Anfield rap contributors. Next one online, Paul Senior, to discuss his favourite memory, the time he spent supporting the Reds. Yes, yeah, so I think... Um, I'm, I'm 30 in July this year, and... Um, I have, you know, we've had the we had the Rafa sides, and they all, there's obviously Istanbul and stuff. But I think my real going as a home and away Liverpool fan and someone who was doing the majority of the games that that season that is thirteen fourteen is the best the best season as my of my Liverpool going life, and I, I just don't ever think I'll feel in football, no matter what Jurgen Klopp does this year, that how I felt coming out of the grounds after Manchester City at home in 13-14. You know, I can't watch that game now because because of the sort of Gerard rally cry at the end and stuff like that. But, but for me, we, we won the league that day. I don't, I don't think that whatever happens in, in football for me now will, will better the feeling of that because... You'll never, you'll never be able to feel that happy, is what you're saying. Yeah, that, and be, because I, I felt that that was, and I went out and celebrated like that was our first league, and that might, that might sound completely stupid because it wasn't, but the feeling was still the same. You know, you weren't telling me that this Liverpool side weren't going to go and do the business from that point on. It just everything indicated that it was, and I, I remember going out into town after the game. I can't even remember the game, day the game was on, but uh, and just. There was nothing could have brought me down then. Absolutely nothing. It was. I don't even think I've had that. You know, I've. I've it sounds terrible. But I've got a young, a young baby, and that that's a different feeling. This this was one that sort of combined relief, you know, uh, 
it removed frustrations I'd had for 20 odd years of my life and it was like we finally done it uh, and that's that season I, I'd gone with um I'd gone with my missus which my dad had packed it in earlier on that year and I think it was after the the second home game of the season he just went this this just isn't for me anymore and, and Kelly my missus started coming with me and we had like we don't go out that often my my sort of job um dictates that I'm in and around Liverpool City Centre of a weekend working but not necessarily partying and we went out that night and we had just had such a good time together and I think she she was enjoying more she's she's a red you know she enjoys it but not like not like I do you know and it was I think she enjoyed it just as much as seeing how mad and how happy I was so I know I don't think you know what say we went when I'm in the league this year I think I'd thoroughly enjoy it and <laughs> I'd like to be a I'd like I'd like to think that I can sort of get to that point again, but just the way we played and the way we did it that year, I just don't think I'll get it anywhere near that. Paul Senior there, which means we've had uh, so far we've had Gareth Roberts, uh, Mary Lund talking about going around uh, all sorts of places. We've had Mike Nevin, uh, Adam Smith, John Gibbons, Paul Senior, and Philippa Smallwood all giving their memory, uh, their favourite memory from Liverpool times gone past. And I'm, you know, open the show with Gareth and closing it with Rob Cutman. Really pleased to do so and. Rob, there's loads and loads of, of bits and pieces that I'm sure you've seen and experienced. And it's a strange thing, really, support. It comes and goes in waves. And what I mean by that is, you know, you, you have big moments, big times. They come at you sometimes from nowhere unexpectedly, which makes selecting your favourite quite difficult because it's all about the context. It does. And you live through seasons sometimes. And you have, and all, all football has highs and lows. Every single game has highs and lows. You could encapsulate your whole football watching life in any one game sometimes. Um... And then every few years, and it does seem longer stretches, you have a you have a moment where you go, ah, that's very that's that bit different. That's almost game changing. I like those those moments which keep you up at night afterwards, like Istanbul. I mean that that is that is the archetype I think from what you all else get measured in in modern times, and. There's, there's been loads. I mean, we'll all talk. I, I I don't know what the others have said before in the entirety. You know, getting to European finals is big. And although people will talk about, I'm sure, Chelsea in 05, on that, uh, Barcelona in 01 at Anfield, McAllister's penalty, I felt we were on the edge of the treble. I've been talking to, to a mate about it for for ages. God, God, this is crazy. Imagine if we actually did win all three trophies. That obviously will never happen cause, <laughs> because it was fantastic. It was fantastic odds. That, that that could happen, and the process just kept. And the, the, the what's what, how do you how do you phrase it? The blocks kept tumbling, the obstacles kept disappearing, one by one by one they kept going, and the Barcelona getting past Barcelona seemed a mighty one. Had we got a draw in the first leg, nil nil, nil nil, and it was an awful game. Nil nil. It's key to remember that. We weren't that good, right? We just weren't, not in European terms, we weren't that good. Well, we were re-emerging. We didn't know how good we were. I don't think it's not fair to say we weren't that good. We didn't know how good we were. Um, we were. It felt like we were a strange raggle-taggle group of sort of, you know, magnificent 11 put together. We knew Owen was good. Gerald was a kid. Was How good was he yet? Heskey, we just signed him. He was having a good season. But there was all, and McAllister, there was all kind of sort of, 
disparate parts to it. Um, I'm going around the house because before we did this, I said I'm definitely talking about the 86 Cup final. <laughs> this could be good. Gonna, no, I think it's interesting. Am I allowed more than one here? Yeah, well, we're chatting right. away, Rob. Okay. We're going to chat away until half past seven, so don't you worry at all. I'll bring you in on the 86 Cup final in a minute. But the thing about 01 was that sort of that feeling of renaissance, which I think, and this is what I was trying to sort of say when I was saying at the start of this, you know, it, things come and go in waves. I'll always remember the, the two late goals at Leeds. And, you know, if I, if, if I had to yeah. gun to my head to pick one, strangely, I'd pick that. And that's an away game in the fourth round of the FA Cup. And, you know, it shouldn't be that because you should be able to point to trophies. And yet that was a real we're on here moment. And I I understand why no one's picked Istanbul and I understand why everyone sort of mentions it and talks around it. But I think the games that you that stay with you are the games where you're coming out and waiting for the next game the next thing that builds and that this is a journey and it's yeah. a process. And I think they're the ones where, you know, more than any other, they, they're the ones that put that get my hair up on edge. Paul Senior picked the, this game against City 13-14 uh, because it was part of this journey which sadly didn't come to a conclusion. But you come out flying. Whereas when you win the things in the end, it's not quite the same in that, oh, that's that done. Is a bit more of your emotion, whereas the journey games are the ones that grab me. And that's why, for me, as I say, it probably always will be Heskey thumping it into the top corner against Leeds United, it being 2-0 and walking out that day thinking, well, if you've just beaten them in their ground like this, we can do anything this season. Yeah, it is. It's strange. There's a mixture of them for me. There's, the reassertion of pride has always been a big thing because... Yes. You know, I, I spent my formative years, I suppose, becoming properly engaged from seven, was the age, at the age of 10-ish, 77, 78, right through to 90. So it was all about, it was all about we're mighty, we're defiant, we're the best. Others spend more than us. There's rich Europeans, but we're the best. We're this town, we're special, we're the best. And when it got taken away, the stripping back of pride is hard to describe what that feels like because because you intrinsically link yourself to your football club you can write papers on the psychological <laughs> attachment factors but you do and you only realize and you realize how much when it's stripped from you and Europe was a, is, is a key thing, and that's why Istanbul is so important. I think it's the, it is the zenith of that process of reassertion of pride. But one of the but, the, but there are what so there are marker stones on the on the on the way to that, and that Barcelona win was definitely one of those. I mean, obviously winning the thing in. Um, Dortmund that year was was massive, although it was such a crazy day that it sort of everything got a bit lost. But to get to your European final, you thought, oh, we're back. There's always been the sense of being back, hasn't there? For the 20 odd years now at Liverpool, we're back, we're about to be back, the edge of the title. That's 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 always at the back of our minds, I think. Um the most the happiest the Liverpool football the most purely satisfied Liverpool football club ever made me not back not relieved not angry not proud not defiant just satisfied was the 86 cup final which is in the, in the, in the middle of my, my my run of glory between say 77 and 90 ish Eight, so it's 86 uh, it was a bit of a redemption tale, the season generally, because it, it's a season after Heisel. And it's funny, people will look back back to the glory days and think, oh, you had it easy. What were you doing? Were you even enjoying it? But we felt like we were rising and falling. So I suppose it's a, it's a tale of anything relative. But there's some pretty dramatic events, Heisel and Hillsborough, which you know brought, brought football sharply into perspective. And, and Heisel had, although it's got, you know, there's nothing for for us to bleat about and I don't even want to touch upon it the effect on our psyche the fact the fact the effect of we, we felt we'd fallen so low we'd fallen so low and on the pitch quite frankly it had been a shabby season by Liverpool standards Everton had taken over that was a kick in the pants and that's not again not relative to Heisley in any way shape or form but things weren't going well 
Bringing in Kenny as the manager after Joe Fagan, having only lost Bob Paisley the year before his retirement, uh, felt a special move by the club. And I think everyone was hugely invested with, with faith rather than true belief that it could work. Um, and by the Christmas of that, of a, you know, Christmas 85 coming into 86, the signs were, it just looked very mediocre. It didn't look great. There'd been some nice days, but nothing good. And Everton looked like, and we would get to the February, March, I think Everton are on course for the title, a really strong side. Kenny's put himself back in the team, and everyone knows the story about how he turned around the title. We win something like 12 out of our last 14, and, and the title is won the week before the cup final. But the cup final is still an ma- amazing thing, and it becomes the whole process again in microcosm. We're playing the season again, and Everton are 1-0 up and in command at half-time. We're literally replaying the season in 90 minutes. Except this time they're getting they're getting their just desserts and winning the thing, and they're having the last word. It doesn't matter if the league's better than the cup, really. They're having the last word. There's a pride thing, whatever. But we come back in the second half, and we're so Liverpool. We're so Liverpool of that era, the Liverpool I grew up with. We're so we get back, and once we're back, that was the thing about that Liverpool side. Once we got back into from losing situations, we were unbelievable. It was like a, a birthright. We would smash. We would smash you then, and we did smash them. And we humiliated them second half. They weren't in. It's often talked about, oh, you know, Everton were good that first half. You know, they're a good side. Liverpool annihilated them in that second half. Well, my memory remains that. <laughs> and 3-0 and three, three in the second half confirms that. And I was uh, 18. I was at my first year at university. I was, uh, was in the early stages of what was my first long-term girlfriend. It was, uh, it was a heady, heady time for me to be alive for me and Liverpool and everything was colliding and I sat back and just I've never basked so much after the end of a football match there was Kenny on the pitch there was a tear and Paisley came on the pitch and it was it was it was the happy ending of a film you know take me now Lord and all that it was the happiest ending of a film I'd almost expected to hear wedding bells like I was getting married the end the end uh, Gareth Roberts, Mary Lund, Mike Nevin, uh, Adam Smith, John Gibbons, Philippa Smallwood, Paul Senior, Rob Gutman, uh, Neil Atkinson, 125th anniversary Liverpool Football Club. That is the Anfield Wrap. Sports Social Podcast Network.